Hello, welcome to If Cage Walls Could Talk, your your weekly heart to heart on all things animals. My name is Jody Whitaker, and I am the founder and executive director of the Chicago Alliance for Animals, the Partnership to Ban Horse Carriages Worldwide, and the Center for Ethical Science. This show was created and brought to you by my all grassroots volunteer organizations, working to liberate animals from suffering and pain. I'd like to read the bio of my first guest, Dr. Aaron Holder. Dr. Holder graduated with honors from the University of Florida College of Veterinary Medicine in 2002. While there, she received the Lerner Family Wildlife Conservation Award, the Bird Fanciers Scholarship, and was inducted into Phi Zeta, the, the Veterinary School Honor Society. Her work with cheetahs and early re- renal disease detection won an international award and was published in the Journal of of Zoo and Wildlife Medicine. She moved to Hawaii to heal from compassion fatigue and created the Veterinary Compassion Fatigue Project, which is dedicated to veterinarians and animal care workers worldwide who suffer one of the highest burnout and compassion fatigue rates of any profession. Uh, So I want to welcome Dr. Holder. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here and talk to you about my new passion. Well, thank you. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, coming on and joining us today. Uh, So why don't we begin with, uh, tell us what compassion fatigue is. Oh, that's a very good question. It's a hot topic and there's a lot of controversy around it. Um, Compassion fatigue, compassion is a term used to um, describe the act of trying to relieve suffering. So we feel empathy um, for someone, whether we feel it cognitively, we want to understand how they're feeling, or we feel it emotionally, we we take on those feelings. Compassion is actually the act of relieving that suffering of someone else. And that fatigue comes when we are not taking care of ourselves, and we're in these professions like veterinary medicine, you know, nursing, doctors, human doctors animal rescuers, all these fields are prone to compassion fatigue because we tend to be givers and we don't replenish our own empathy. We don't replenish ourselves. So compassion fatigue, the reason that I say it's a controversial term is because a lot of scientists want to call it empathy fatigue, Um, but I sort of um, say, yes, there is empathy fatigue, but there is also very definitely compassion fatigue when you withdraw yourself from helping relieve the others from suffering. In other words, you sell your veterinary hospital and you move to Hawaii. Um, <laughs> that is the definition of compassion fatigue. <laughs> <laughs> I see. And I, uh, I'm jealous of that because Hawaii is, uh, I mean, that would be a dream for me because I love the heat and, and it's just a paradise to me. So, um, I think it's great that you, uh, took action on your fatigue and, and moved to a beautiful, beautiful place. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so tell I, us. I, uh, I didn't have much oh, of ahead. a choice. Like I just, I didn't have much of a choice. I just, I woke up one day and I realized literally I, I'm just not able to put one foot in front of the other and keep doing this. Like if I don't make a change right now, then I'm, you know, my health is, my health is already suffering, but my health is going to suffer further. So You know, I think definitely kudos to me for actually listening um, to my body, but um, but there was not a choice for me. Like I could not go on at the rate I was going. I see, and I uh, I I see that because a lot of 
animal advocates and animal rights activists uh, do you, you know feel feel burnout and fatigue uh, and I've seen many in my career who were so active that have just stopped completely uh, they they either yeah. move on with a new passion and that's fine uh, but it's it's hard when you have volunteers or activists who are so dedicated who just like drop off drop out completely of the movement. So, but it is a difficult, what yeah. we deal with, uh, animal issues, animal suffering and animal uh, cruelty issues, uh, it can take a real toll. So, um, it, it can, yeah. why did you begin writing the Veterinary Compassion Fatigue Project? So I had no, it wasn't like I sold the practice in Florida and was like, oh, I'm going to now create this program. I came to, you know, like literally ran um, from everything to get to a place where I could be quiet and heal. And I had owned my, you know, at the time I thought it was a seven doctor practice um, in Central Florida of Integrative Medicine. So we're talking about a massive practice with over 50 employees. So everything was just busy, 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 busy. Um, And so I came to just be quiet and not do anything for the minute and just sort of like collect myself. And then I'm very uh, busy and always want to be into something. So I started taking some different classes and energy work and, and ended up spending a week on the big island with Deepak Chopra and meditating. And I've always done yoga. And, um, and that really changed, like that week really changed a lot of my perspective and understanding why I was failing at meditating um, and why so many other veterinarians, I say veterinarians, but techni- like all, all the people in the animal care world, why it's very hard for us to meditate is because we're active, we're doers, and the thought of sitting and being still is, is like just so ominous. <laughs> like, we, and, and we think we need to clear our mind when we're meditating, which all those things are false. So anyway, I, I did this week of, of meditating. And then following that, I went to the holistic conference um, in San Diego, the veterinary holistic conference. And at the end of one of my talks, I talked briefly about compassion fatigue, and the response was just overwhelming. Um, so we had a lot of veterinarians in there just moved, and they came up to me afterwards to just talk to me about my feelings and, and basically just, like, what can I do to help? Like, please help me. Please help me. I'm suffering. And I went home um, from that, and that's when it started. So I started to write, and then from there, it's just taken on um, a life of its own. That sounds amazing. Uh uh, can you explain uh, why are some of the reasons that veterinarians do suffer from from this uh, fatigue, that uh, compassion fatigue? And one thing I was I'm curious about would the fact that so many healthy animals in our sh- animal shelters have to be euthanized because of you know overbreeding, lack of homes, puppy mills, and so forth. Yeah. So the first question is why? Why do veteran? Why? Why are we so predisposed to this? Um, and I think a lot of it has to do. There's a lot of different facets or reasons. You know, one is we're the only profession that has to end a life, um, and that's really hard. That's really hard to do it, and we think we can numb ourselves to it, but. You know, we do euthanasia over and over and over, even if it's for the right and beautiful reasons and, you know, it's the right thing to do, it's still extremely taxing on us. And we get no education in medical school. We don't have education of how to run a business. You know, I got two hours um, in business 
uh, and running a business in vet school. And we have no compassion fatigue training at all. So we're launched into our career with, with great medical knowledge, and then that's the extent of it. And so then a large majority of us want to go on and open up our own practice with no business skills, no HR skills, and start we try and piece this together, and we really struggle. Meanwhile, we're over here being veterinarians and trying to be compassionate to our staff, compassionate to our pets, compassionate to our patients, compassionate to our clients. And so we're giving, giving, giving so much of ourselves, and we just don't have any tools to replenish that. So we're failing in our veterinary schools. That's where we're failing right now out of the gate. And we're, this is where the program needs to go is we need to go into the school. I see. And would you say that uh, some, of the, uh, some of the classes or courses in veterinary school uh, might even add on to that because of uh, what we've talked about on the show in the past is some terminal, terminal laboratories or some some experiments or um, vivisection, if you will, that still takes place in veterinary courses? I, I don't know about whether that is part of this program to be changed. What I am, you know, maybe that's your group's advocacy and what you need to do. What I have to do in this program is I have to take care of the human. I want, my goal is to try and help the human to deal with all this. Sure. So I can give the humans the ability to be brave and fight what is unethical because there's a lot of unethical things that happen with our animals. Obviously, we all know that. Your, your show is based on that. So I need to give the humans the power to stay in the profession because by 2030, um, the American Animal Hospital Association tells us that we're going to have a 15,000 shortage of veterinarians. Wow. So not only are we already overworked and exhausted right now, we're heading into a, a critical uh, shortage of veterinarians. And so how is life going to look after that? Why is that? So we've got to act. So our schools, we don't have a lot of schools and we don't have a lot of um, people graduating. So like medical schools, you'll see several medical schools per state. And we don't even have a veterinary school in every single state. Now, add that on to the fact that we're running from the profession. 67% of veterinarians are at high risk for burnout and fatigue. So we're running from the profession. I've had uh, another um, person reached out to me and said she went to vet school and she graduated and she could not practice. She was already so fatigued. So, yeah, so we have to start taking care of these students and actually arm them with, appropriate knowledge. And I hope that while I'm uber focused on veterinarians, this isn't just for veterinarians. This is for everybody. I mean, really, it's for everybody. But, you know, animal rescuers, I just don't speak directly to animal rescuers because I've not, I'm not an animal rescuer. I'm a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. But by all means, the information should, should help anyone in that takes care of an animal, even a pet owner that's exhausted. Maybe they have an animal that's in hospice and they're really worn out. This work can help them. Yeah, I I can see that because I know people who work in rescue and a friend of mine who is always being called away to 
go rescue domesticated rabbits who've been dumped or abandoned in uh, in yeah. you know forest preserves or parking lots or or where have you and uh it's I feel like my work is easy compared to actual animal rescue people who are always having to run and find you know, save another animal and find a home for them or find a foster home. So same with veterinary veterinarians, uh, the work you have to do, uh, I can just imagine how difficult it is. So how could you explain how people could benefit from your organization? Yeah. So I actually, when I started this, I had no idea what this looked like. All I knew was that I had a lot of experience in owning a veterinary hospital for 20 years. I'd made an enormous amount of mistakes. And what better way than to help others is to share the mistakes that I've made and share personally what I went through. Because I know, you know, just by going to the holistic conference that people can identify, you know, they on on the most intimate levels can can really say, yes, this is me. Like, I I identify with what you went through. So I started with just writing blogs. And then I started recording them. Um, And then it morphed, as people reached out, it morphed to, okay, like, we're going to need to get people together in a group. So let's form a retreat. Because in one of my blogs, I talk about how camaraderie is such a wonderful way of healing. And I personally experienced that when I was in a limo, going to um, a lecture, and I was around a bunch of veterinarians, and we all started talking about just how hard it was and, like, how hard our life was. And and we didn't solve any problems in that limo ride, but by the time I get out, I felt I wasn't alone. I felt like, oh, my gosh, other people are suffering, too. It's not just me. And just that feeling of camaraderie really moved me and made a difference. And so part of this program is we need to get a retreat that we can go to a non-judgmental space and we can talk about how difficult life can be as a business owner, as a veterinarian, as a technician, you know, as a receptionist. We need to be in this space so that we can talk about it and we can heal just from that. Right. So that was then one thought. And then, of course, like not everybody can get to it. And so um, a wonderful shelter reached out to me and said, please help us. Like, we're drowning. We're so fatigued. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to create a program that's a basic program online so that they can at least go through the online work um, and get help. So I'm in the middle of creating that. Meanwhile, I'm just publishing weekly blogs so that you can get pieces of what the program's going to look like. And you can pick up meditations and you can start practicing meditation and learning um, the program because a central part of this, pro- like this, the foundation of the program is based on meditation, but then we, we break further out and we learn different things. That sounds great. Uh, it's really amazing how, how talking to others who, you know, feel your pain or your suffering or simply venting to a friend or a loved one about what you're going through can ease a lot of stress. <laughs> I know that personally. It can. Just talking it out, and then you can almost from there yeah. move on. So, yeah. yeah, and I think a thing even more powerful than just talking to, you know, coming home and talking to my husband is wonderful, and I love to do it, but even more powerful is talking to someone sitting exactly in my position, not with my same problems, with different ones, but that for them to be able to, you know, I don't even have to be, you know, talk in detail because they get it. 
Right. And so they get it. And that that's like going into a group of, you know, Al-Anon or AA where you're all in this together. You've all been there doing this. This is where we need to go is to be together in compassion fatigue and just admit it. You know, veterinarians are so like a type, like we're just going, 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 and we're, we're not going to break. We're not going to break. We're so strong. And just being able to stop and say, Hey, you know what? I am fatigued and I do need help and actually asking for help. Now that's going to be a big thing of trying to break into the veterinary group. Cause I was that person, you know, I was that person. I'm all good. Everything's fine. I, I can handle all this. I can carry the weight of the world on my shoulders until I couldn't. Mm-hmm. But how wonderful would it be to get armed with tools before that point comes where you say, oh, my, I, I just can't anymore. Right. So it's so, so important to realize that and acknowledge it, take a break, uh, meditate, like you said. So tell us about the five bolsters of, of your program. Yeah. So, um, again, this is just I was writing a blog. And I didn't even have any intention of creating this. And, and by the time I got to it, I had it had written itself and I created it. Because what are sort of the things that you have to do? Yeah, meditation is our foundation and we're going to work from there. But there are five very important key elements to creating a wonderful culture in the veterinary clinic. And I'm telling you, eight out of ten veterinary hospitals have a poor culture. Overworked, exhausted you know, they have to do things like you can't imagine. Clients are very angry. We're everybody's radiologists. We're their pharmacists. We're their internal medicine specialists. We're their surgeons. We're their dentists. You know, we're everything for everybody, so it's really exhausting. So the most important thing you can do as an owner or a hospital manager is to create this culture. And so the five bolsters or pillars, but I call it bolsters because I love yoga. It's so a shout-out to yoga because bolsters, like, they help support you in a yoga pose. So these help support a great culture in veterinary medicine and their love, particularly self-love, because we can't really love others the way we should be able to if we don't have that same self-love. Compassion, and veterinarians are the most compassionate, amazing humans, but we don't, for some reason, turn that same self-compassion to ourselves. So we're really lacking on our own self-love and our own self-compassion. And then we need to have direction. So that's the third bolster of the program. And and it's a clear direction within the hospital of what's expected of individuals so that everybody's on the same page and that they can understand exactly where they want to go. So it's direction for the entire hospital, but it's also direction for the employee. For instance, what is your goal? What can we do to help you reach your goal? And then there needs to be direction for the client, you know. This is a space of love. This isn't a space where you can come in and demand and be ugly to the staff. So we need these rules to create the correct direction because without that direction, we've got no purpose. So we, we've got to work towards this this purpose for the greater good of the animals. And the fourth bolster is training. Um we're really good at sending our, our staff members to NAVC where they can go learn about the latest dental technique and all that. But we need to do training on self-love, self-compassion. We need to do that kind of training, meditation training perhaps, so that um, we can get everybody on the same page and create such a different culture. 
And then the last um, bolster of the program is delegation. And this one is very personal to me because I was a terrible delegator. I felt like, oh, I'm not going to explain how to do it. I'm just going to do everything myself. And 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 without that training, and you're, then you try to delegate. So there needs to be appropriate delegation. People need to get paid for the delegator. And veterinarians need to realize and hospital managers, they can't do everything all by themselves. We need help. We need a team. Wow. That's, that's very interesting. Uh, and it's important that you see that you've got to, all those issues have to be addressed in order to, to, uh, relieve some of the stress and some of the fatigue. I just want to throw it out there that we do take phone calls. So um, if you have any interest in this issue, you might be a veterinarian or work in the animal care field. Our number here is 773-763-WCPT. That's 773-763-9278. Uh, feel free to call in and ask Dr. Holder a question or if you just want to talk about what maybe you're going through. Um, so, yeah. uh, so, Dr. Holder, what platforms can people uh, learn more about your program on? So right now, um, the website we have is um, the Veterinary Compassion Fatigue Project.com, and you can read the blogs. You can also get linked to Spotify and YouTube. And then what we're working on now, which I'm so excited on, I've got probably about only 25% of it written, um, is our online program. But anything that you need can be found on our website. So if you're interested in signing up for retreat information, Um, We're going to be hosting our retreat in April of 2025, and it's going to be in Northern California. We've settled on a town in Petaluma, which is in wine country. So we're going to have an amazing time uh, learning and drinking wine and and having fun. Um, And then my online program, as it gets rolled out, will be available to um, individuals. Uh, but it will also be um, available for entire clinics or hospitals at a hugely reduced price. So the work I do is not to generate an enormous amount of money. It's to genuinely help those that need it. <clears throat> so you say wine country. Can I come? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and do you also have oh, yeah. <laughs> social media like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram? Or I, I do. Thank you. I'm the world's worst Facebook and social media <laughs> person. So I do have somebody managing that for you. I forgot it. Um, I've got Facebook, uh, which is the Veterinary Compassion Fatigue Project. And that's it. That's all I can handle. I, I couldn't do anything beyond that. I understand. Right now. Yeah. So we take our, yeah, we take our posts and we put, we put them on Facebook. Uh, I mean, so, we take our blogs, we take my blogs and put them on Facebook. Uh, yep, perfect. Uh, so we have a caller, um, Gail from Chicago. Are you there? Oh, Gail is a veterinarian. Awesome. Um, hello. Hello. Hi, Gail. Uh, yes, hello. I am not a veterinarian, but I've been oh. dealing with veterinarians. Uh, for, I've been dealing with veterinarians for about, oh, let's say since I was 18, and I'm now 56. And my husband and I, and before that, um, before I had my husband, yes, we've been dealing with um, animals and paying for their care. And we've been going to various veterinarians. And, and if, I, if I'm allowed to, I will say their names. is Dr. Janda, who's now retired from Cicero, Illinois. And Dr. Bondell from Market Animal Hospital 
And I, I, if, if, if there's a saint, um, there are saints named after them. It's, it's, it's these two doctors, Dr. Bondal from Dr. from Marquette Animal Hospital and Dr. Janda from the Cicero Veterinarian Medicine, who's now retired. But I'll tell you, this, this is, this is real. And when you have these veterinarians coming in who are, who are helping animals and you have animals, by the way, veterinarians who have to deal with dog fighting, all sorts of animal cruelty cases and their lives are threatened. No one's taking that into consideration. Um, and yes, there's going to be some. You have these. You have these veterinarians who, who are working in stressed communities, and their lives and their families' lives are threatened too. And I don't believe that anyone's discussing that. And the fact, doctor, that you're talking about fatigue, this is real. And it's not about the money. You can pay a veterinarian a billion dollars a year, and it's not going to matter to true veterinarians. Because they really do care about the animals, and they go home, and and I would not be surprised if the suicide rate was high, if the the I would not be surprised if the depression rate was high. We must call attention to this, and if, if I may be so bold, I don't know if you have an organization or what, um, but I would love to donate one thousand dollars to your if you have a nonprofit or a nonprofit that you're affiliated with, or the speaker who's dealing with, who is a nonprofit, I don't know, my first time calling in, um, but it sounds like this is an animal-centric radio station. I would love to donate $1,000 to you and or the speaker, or both. How's that? <laughs> I know <laughs> I can who do this that. is, Gail. <laughs> my name is Gail. My name is Gail Larson. My name is Gail Larson, and I would do that because I, I see it from Tim. It's horrific. It's something okay. people do not talk about. Sorry to interrupt, Gail. And, um, it, needs be, it, needs be, it needs to be announced, so thank do you. you. Wanna, do you want to reply to that, uh, Aaron? I would love to, Gail. I want to say thank you so much because it really does take a village to point out all the difficulties in, in what thank we you, have to you. do as veterinarians. Like, So those are things that I don't even think about at this moment, but you're so right. I mean, like, there's so many different facets of the profession, and we have to deal with thank so you, much heartache. And a lot of problems. So, uh, first of all, thank you so much for, for bringing that up. And thank you for recognizing it. And I wanted to tell you that one in six veterinarians contemplate suicide. It is extremely high rate of suicide. And 80% of veterinarians suffer from clinical depression. 80% of veterinarians suffer from clinical depression. So, you're right on the money when you say those things. Like, And we do have to start talking about it. And while I'm not a nonprofit, I do work with a nonprofit. And what my goal would be with them is to raise money so that I can get people who can't afford to come to the retreat to get a break, like especially animal rescuers who give every single dime they have to helping animals. Wouldn't it be nice for us to give back to them and let them come to a retreat for a few days and learn how to take care of themselves? They can keep rescuing animals because what we don't want is what's going on right now, which is people are turning away from this profession. They're walking away from it and they're walking away from the animals. We have to do better. Yeah. Thank you, Gail, for calling. And you know what? You, I'll just take a break. Take a break like we all do. Everyone needs to take a break. But if you're in it to win it, you've got to come back. So please do me as a favor. And I am. my name is Gail Larson, and I will be donating $1,000. $1,000 to you, doctor, for your uh, animal rescue, for, for your, I'm sorry, for your retreat, for the speaker, and for what she is doing. I will be donating $1,000 to her as well. Thanks so much, thank Gail. You. Thanks thank for calling. So and uh, so when you brought up um, 
we're we're running low on time, but I wanted to ask you quickly when you bring up the uh, fact that there are so many uh, veterinarians committing suicide. Can you quickly tell us about not one more vet? Yeah. So I don't know much about them. I'm, I'd like to partner with them at some point. So it's on my to-do list, except following them and seeing the wonderful work that they're doing. So I love this organization. I love what she stands for. Um, and this is just a, a, an amazing, she's actually trained in the field and she's, she's just amazing putting together help. So her help is, is for all veterinarians and all veterinarians facing different situations, but particularly a more extreme form. Um, and she's out there as a resource for anybody, any veterinarian who feels lost and hopeless. Um, and my feel like I have a niche that I, I'd like to start earlier. Like we need to start in the schools and give and give real training and real tools so that maybe, hopefully, we can decrease the number of people uh, even contemplating suicide. That's so important uh, because, like you said, we can't lose veterinarians to that or lose them at all in the field. So uh, I so appreciate you coming on today and telling telling everybody about uh, your very important organization. Uh, So thank thank you you so much. And uh, I'd love to have you on another time where we can we can go dig in further uh, uh, what with what you're doing and you can tell tell people the latest uh, what's going on with your organization. Absolutely. Absolutely. That sounds amazing. Thank you so much for this opportunity. All right. Thank you, Erin. Take care and um, I will talk to you soon. You as well. Okay. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So between guests here, I'd like to thank my friends and former bosses, Christine Dorchak and Carrie Teal of Great 2K USA Worldwide for supporting the show. They work tirelessly to end the cruelty of dog racing across the globe. Learn more about how a small group of people can make a big difference for animals at grade2kusa.org. I greatly appreciate, I greatly appreciate Christine and Carrie for all they do. So now I'd like to welcome, uh, my, uh, second guests, uh, Chef Kevin Shooter of Fancy Plants Kitchen, Fancy Plants Cafe, and Fancy Plants Catering. <laughs> yeah. All of them. And, uh, we also have Miyoko, uh, Skinner, Skinner, Shinner, Shinner on the, on the phone. Are you there, Miyoko? I am. Hello. Hello. hello Thank hello, you for hello. joining us. My I, pleasure. I think I always said Skinner, so I didn't know it was Shinner. <laughs> Sorry about that. It's okay. No worries. So welcome. Uh, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Miyoko, so, good to talk to you again. Yeah. Great to, great to connect with you, Kevin. Absolutely. Yeah. So now I got to get up to Chicago one of these days. <laughs> please do! Oh my gosh, I can't wait to go back to the Bay Area too. I've known soon. Kevin for quite a while now here in Chicago, and I met Miyoko once, I think, at the National Animal Rights Conference. Uh, so uh, we'll start with you, Kevin. Tell us about your history as a vegan chef. Um, it started about eighteen years ago. Um, you know, I got into it through environmentalism. I'd been, you know vegetarian for a while and then went vegan and i read this book by e.o wilson called the future of life and it was talking about you know some of the environmental challenges we have to face and you know i'd always been a creative person like really into writing and music and everything but i felt like i can't just write music if i felt very compelled to do something about our environmental situation and even 18 years ago i kind of thought well if i'm a 
Vegan chef, that is the answer to the world's problems. And so I've been kind of chugging along with it since. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great, great reason. And uh, you've done great work with uh, your your three organizations. Uh, so do you want to tell us a little bit about Fancy Plants? Yeah. Um, I guess Fancy Plants is, you know, in San Francisco, I was working for other people Starting off at Millennium, and I worked for this Japanese chef, uh, Takashi Saito, and this woman, Emerald Shortner, and just learning a lot from different people and being a diff- you know, a chef at different places. Uh, Citizen Fox, which is you know, how I met Miyoko. And then I just kind of wanted to start my own brand because I felt like what I wanted to do, I wasn't going to get that acknowledged through working for other people at the time. So I kind of begrudgingly got into business and being an entrepreneur and started Fancy Plants. And uh, yeah, since then, it's just turned into catering and a cafe and pop-ups and a restaurant pretty much out of necessity just because I'm trying to, you know, cook the food I love and, you know, give it a platform. And we love your food. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And so, Miyoko, I've got to say, I love your products, too, and I've loved them for so long. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you started your empire? Um, well, I wouldn't call it an empire, but before I talk <laughs> about myself, I'd like to just talk a little bit about Kevin, because I think he's an underrated chef. I think he's one of the most talented vegan chefs I've ever met. Um, and he's blown me away with incredible ideas. Like I remember the time at a restaurant, he served popcorn soup, and apparently it was a joke. <laughs> he was like, "Yeah, I thought it was, thought it was a that. funny idea." Okay, <laughs> I had it was so good. It was so incredible. That was my kids' um, menu <laughs> theme, I think, oh, where okay. it was like kids' food but veganized, I or remember or, that. A, yeah. or something a kid would think of, like popcorn soup. Yeah, you had a bunch of kid uh, like chicken fingers and stuff, right? Like, yeah, yeah, different things. Yeah. 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 Kids menu. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. He's just, he's just incredibly creative and um, you know, if you're a Chicago is it Chicago end or Chicago white? I don't know. But Chicago if you're out that way. Yeah. Chicago end then, then please Okay. Oh my god, this is so annoying. My Siri has started to talk about Chicago. Uh, <laughs> my laptop here. But anyway, you if, if you're out that way, I mean please check out Fancy Plant Plant uh Fancy Plants. I can't wait to get out there. Um I gotta go into a different room because my computer is talking to me. Um so anyway, uh, you know, I don't not sure exactly what empire you're talking about, but I got my start uh, as a vegan chef, cookbook author, uh, entrepreneur, many, many, many decades ago, back in the 1980s, when I first became vegan and started a little bakery uh, in Japan, actually. And then um, I moved back to the United States. I wrote a book, uh, one of the first on the subject, actually. Uh, started the restaurant in San Francisco in the 1980s, right around the same time the millennium opened up. Uh, had a natural food company making uh, meat alternatives back in the 1990s and early 2000s, um, and then started a cheese company in the um, in, in 2012. I'm no longer 2014. Um, I'm no longer associated with the brand, but anyway. Um, so I've done a variety of things. Written six cookbooks right now. I'm working on a seventh cookbook, which is all about uh, vegan dairy products, including how to make uh, cheese in a whole new way. So anyway, that's kind of my 
story in a nutshell. Right. But you founded it and it uh, you founded and started this amazing, amazing uh, company with amazing products. I remember uh, at multiple uh, national animal rights conferences, uh, you would have samples and uh, <laughs> my colleagues and I would go visit your booth often to get samples. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We love getting samples. I still do. You know, I mean, right. I was just uh, yeah, sampling stuff out of my kitchen to people. So nice. I remember when you were first starting out with that and getting to try some of the early Miyoko's cheeses. And it was just just in the Bay Area. And they were just astounding. Like I was blown away by it. Mm-hmm. I just loved it. So they were yeah. so good. Well, Kevin's, you know, Kevin's done a lot of wonderful things, too. I mean, it's really fun to talk to Kevin because. It's all we communicate on I Messenger miss you. for whatever. <laughs> yeah, I miss, I miss cooking and for you. Like, me, oh my gosh, yeah, um, you really uh, appreciated well, what I was uh, doing, and I love that. Yeah. Well, I I would like nothing more than to have another meal made by you. Well, let's make it happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think we have an event coming up. <laughs> yeah. Do you want There's to talk few, about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, here, um, I'm doing a. a Every year I do a vegan Valentine aphrodisiac dinner, and um, there's like 20 different aphrodisiacs, you know, in a five-course meal. And this year I'm doing it with a local restaurant, Kill My Name, which I'm really excited about because, you know, I, I really like throwing events. Like I've thrown like and catered Burning Man parties and art events. Like I like going extra, extra. And it seems like Neiman from Kill My Name likes going extra too, so... I'm really excited to work with him on that. And then uh, we're also doing a uh, take-home version um, where 15% of it is going to uh, – of the sales are going to center on Halstead. And so, you know, people are ordering uh, vegan Valentine's dinners to take home for 99 bucks for a couple. And then it Kill My Name, it comes with Prosecco and uh, some um, macarons from uh, Jenny Tyner from uh, – um, the vegan midnight baker to take home and it should be really fun so that's happening now and if you're in chicago and you're interested buy your ticket soon because it'll sell out and i have to cut off the uh take-home version monday so i appreciate the early sales because i know what to anticipate um but yeah i'm really excited for those and do you want to tell the audience what center on halstead is it's a um local um LGBTQ community center in, uh, well, Boys Town, but what's now called, uh, you know, the Halstead area. So they do a lot of good work, and I um, cooked for their um, Santa Speedo run, of all things. And <laughs> it was fun. Like, I like, you know, I've worked with different organizations in the past, um, Humane League and Factory Farm Awareness and Farm Sanctuary and New Jody with uh, Chicago Alliance for Animals. Food Empowerment Project, Women's Empowerment Project, and, you know, it's, yeah, it's really good to just involve a charitable aspect in what I do. Right. And he, uh, Kevin, has had a couple of fundraisers for uh, my organization, Chicago Alliance for Animals, and I greatly appreciated that. Yeah. Always. Uh, so... Uh, I, when you say the the Santa run, I was standing on Halstead, and all of a sudden, all these mostly naked 
guys are running down the street with Santa hats on, so that's quite fun. Uh, I didn't do it, I swear. But oh, you did it? In San Francisco, there's the Beta Breakers run, where you run from one side of the city to the other, and I did it naked. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did, because you can. Yeah, it's legal. It's not, a, right. it's, not a, it's not in December. I mean, it's a little warm. <laughs> right, right. Here I did it in under an hour. That was my first big race, I think, but... Yeah, yeah. Wow. This is in December when they're running with uh, speedos on and, and Santa cat Santa hats, which is uh, you don't expect it, and all of a sudden you see like two hundred <laughs> guys running at you. It's it's awesome. I mean, it's one of the reasons why Chicago's so amazing. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Miyoko, what are you working on now? Well, as I mentioned, I'm working on a new book, uh, and so that's taking up a lot of my time. Um, Got to meet my deadlines, and then um, in terms of nonprofit, you know, uh, Kevin has often invited me and my nonprofit to come out to Chicago to do a fundraising. So I started um, um, an organization called Rancho Compasión about eight years ago, and it's a farmed animal. Started out as a small farmed animal sanctuary, and it's grown into sort of an education hub for school kids, where we have an after-school program, lots of school field trips. We have an organic garden, and so we bring a lot of youth on a weekly basis, and they um, get to meet their friends who are animals, and then they get to meet their food, which are the vegetables growing in the garden, and, and they learn all about how to how to grow grow things um, and prepare food that that um, is grown organically, regeneratively, uh, while rubbing the bellies of cute little piggies. Oh, I love so, that. Yeah. So how how many animals uh, approximately would you say there are on the on the sanctuary at the sanctuary? Uh, we have I don't have an exact count, but I would say somewhere between eighty and a hundred. Wow! Uh, and it weighs because a lot of it, some of them are birds. Um, you know, we have ducks and geese and chickens and turkeys. Um, but we have almost all the farm species: um, cows and goats and sheep and donkeys and. Pigs and we just rescued two pigs from the Maui fires. Oh wow! Uh, so two kuni kuni pigs um, that were born the day after um, a fire ravaged um, a farm, and the farm farmer decided not to go back into business because he lost everything. And uh, so then the the sows that survived um, gave all, gave birth to all these piggies, and they had to be adopted. So um, some of them came to California. We took two of them. Um, so, you know, we are continuing the rescue part, but we really do believe that uh, change is made. I truly believe that change is made by changing people's hearts and minds, by touching them through interaction, through human interaction, through food, through good food. And while you're having food, you can have that conversation that you can't have otherwise. Um, and so for me, um, I think activism has to be inspirational. It can't be an attack. It can't be, you know, look what you're doing to the to the planet, to the animals. They're suffering. Um, but it's a different approach. It's recognizing the humanity in every single human being and drawing it out of them through food that opens up their hearts and through connecting with them, uh, connecting animals to them and, um, you know, teaching them about the food system uh, in a generous way. And I, th- I think this is how we can really change the trajectory of the future, especially if we can start with you. I love that. And I, I agree with you that it's very important 
my opinion anyway, is uh, reaching people through compassion and education, which is why I'm so happy to have the show, because this show is dedicated to educating the public about what is going on to animals in, in so many different fields and areas. And it's all about, you know, teaching people about it without judging them because everybody's on the path. I mean, most, most people I know weren't born vegan or weren't born an animal rights activist. They learned about the issues and and then they made choices. So um, thank you for that. And thank you for this sanctuary. Uh, It sounds wonderful. Uh, So Kevin, uh, I know you're planning on doing some events with Kendall college. Want to tell us about that? Yeah. Um, Really quick to go off. Jody staying at, Miyoko's place is incredible. Um, At the I sanctuary? Flew out there. Yeah, yeah, I flew out there to cook your birthday party, and Miyoko, I just found the pictures for it. I remember it was like 100 degrees, and I was cooking pizzas out of a pizza oven, and it was, <laughs> it was a challenge, but it was wonderful. But you'll be in the kitchen cooking, and there's those wonderful Japanese sweet potatoes that you'd cook, and then a goat wanders into the kitchen, and it's just like... <laughs> Fantastic! It's very Northern California, and I miss I miss a lot of that, you know. Um, but yes, Jody uh, Kendall College. Um, my my friend uh, Avril is a uh, nutrition instructor there, and she for a few years has been lobbying me to get involved with Kendall College, and I hadn't had time until recently. And Devis, um, wonderful chef instructor Wook Kang. And it takes every fiber of my being not to be like, Wook King, Wook King. And I don't know if you've ever heard the Wu-Tang Clan, but anyways. I know of them, but I don't know if I I'm know I'm diverting that song. here. He's bobbing his head <laughs> back there. I see you. Yep. <laughs> anyways, I feel like, you know, part of what, what, what I want to do is try to fuse vegan values with farm-to-table ethics where we're supporting local farmers and we're supporting local communities and in in the bay area that was that's just what you do like everything is grown locally and in the midwest moving out here i was born out here it's a big challenge because there's not really a long growing season but also um it feels like restaurant groups and corporate entities kind of run our food systems out here. And it's really challenging to try to support local agriculture in a big way. Um, a lot of the foodies who are omnivores kind of get on that. But a lot of the vegans, there's not a lot of crossover. And so I was that's kind of what I was trying to establish with Fancy Plants Kitchen because I would list local farms on the menu. But mm-hmm. that effort didn't really take a whole lot of traction um you know the local farming aspect didn't get a whole lot of traction and so working with kendall college there's no there's no colleges in the midwest that have a plant-based cooking course really or any instructors and so i want to change that um by you know starting to creep into there but i also really want to what kang is a uh uh Korean, and I listened to one of a uh, podcast that he was on, and he's been trying to incorporate a little bit more Korean cuisine into the um, into Kendall College. And there's this woman, uh, Joanne Molinero, who ran, who uh, you know, wrote the cookbook, The Korean Vegan. I think it'd be fun to try to get her to do a pop up there with me. And there's a local chef, uh, Rodolfo Cuadros, who runs Bloom, and. Okay. Uh, 
you know, I just spoke with him on the phone, and he'd love to do a dinner there with me. And there's also a Gabriel who runs a Bagabs. And I think Chicago is so diverse. And, you know, I think the, the students at Kendall are incredibly diverse. But it'd be great to see chefs doing plant-based cooking there who also kind of represent that diversity. And so that's what I'm going to try to incorporate. And I'm going to try to incorporate my own pop-ups and potentially some uh, classes there at Kendall because, you know, I think Kendall College should be the first college that has a plant-based cooking course in the Midwest. Is that here in Chicago? Yes. Okay. I wasn't yeah. familiar. I feel like I've heard of it, but I wasn't sure where it, where it was. I want to get into the institution and change it from the inside out if I can because – how else are you going to do it sometimes? You no, know? There should be courses in, there should be. in the Midwest, in it Chicago. It should be the future, yeah. For sure. Uh, yeah. If I can, I want to chime in on yeah. what a very important point that Kevin made, which is about local. I mean, there used to be this, this term locavore, and as a vegan for a long time, I sort of scoffed at it because it's, you know, the the – the propaganda that we hear as vegans is that the only way to save the world is to take animals out of the equation because they take up so much land mass and resources and water and this, that, and the other thing. And so it's a binary equation of either whether you have animals or you don't have animals. And if you take animals out, all problems are solved. And what I've learned over the last uh, couple of years is that that is um, a little n- not overstated in the sense that, yeah, it's animals – should not be commodified. I completely agree with that and all the statistics. However, it's much more, the food system is much more complex than that. Um, here in the Bay Area, we do have a lot of farmers markets and, and there is a fairly strong so-called local movement um, that has to do with, you know, the local pig, uh, et cetera, that you're eating. Um, but that doesn't solve the problem either. What the The bottom line is that there are about 10 corporations globally that control over 70% of the entire food system. And the, the globalization of food and these large corporations have impacted local food systems over the entire world. Uh, most farmers today are not growing heritage crops or crops that actually feed their local communities. They are simply growing commodity crops like corn and soy and wheat or potatoes or, or whatever that gets sold to these large corporations. They grow what the corporations tell them to grow. And so they're no longer serving their communities. We're losing biodiversity uh, through this monoculture. Uh, we used to have, for example, hundreds of different types of, let's say, any, any crop, whether it's wheat or corn, and you know we're down to just a handful of each. And so this really is a huge problem because it is destroying food sovereignty in communities around the world and making people dependent on corporations to feed them. Um, We actually grow one and a half times more food globally than the world needs. But the reason we still have starvation uh, is because a lot of that food gets used by large corporations to produce processed foods and therefore they're not actually going to feed people. Um, and so this is a huge problem, and I'm, I'm really, really glad that Kevin is addressing it in Chicago, at least in terms of supporting the very, very few, you know, less than 1% of local farmers that are actually growing food to feed their local community. And we do need to revive that. And the vegan community needs to understand that to solve the world's 
food problems and to create equity and justice, social justice for for farmers and producers, small producers and communities that need food sovereignty, we have to return food to more of a local and regional system. We have to stop depending on the corporations to feed us. Every time a corporation comes out with a new packaged vegan food, it's really not a reason to celebrate. What we really should be celebrating is a local and getting back into our kitchens and learning how to cook from locally grown food. Exactly. Yeah, that's, it's sad that there's such a monopoly by the big corporations. Uh, it's called big agriculture. So we are starting to wind down on time. Uh, Kevin, will you please tell us about uh, how listeners can uh, check out your uh, Valentine's aphrodisiac dinner at Kale My Name and where they can buy tickets? Yeah, if you go to my Instagram, um, at FPK Chicago. Um, there's a couple links into there. Um, also, there's a, you know, on the Facebook page, Fancy Plants Kitchen, it's available. And if you uh, look on Eventbrite, Kill My Name, um, there's links to the dinner there. And if you want the take-home package, please order it soon. Um, and that is under uh, Talk Fancy Plants Kitchen. Awesome. Uh, And Miyoko, where can people check out your uh, latest information and more information about uh, Rancho Compassion Sanctuary? Yeah, Rancho Compassion is spelled Rancho C-O-M-P-A-S-I-O-N. So it's Compassion with just one S. One S, Rancho Compassion dot O-R-G. And you can just go to our website for that. Um, Best way to follow me is probably on Instagram. My handle is just Miyoko Shinner, M-I-Y-O-K-O-S-C-H-I-N-N-E-R. Oh, wonderful. I thank you both so much for all your work, your amazing food, uh, for always working together with me, uh, Kevin. And uh, I just want to end today with a quote. This quote, animals are my friends and I don't eat my friends by George Bernard Shaw. And actually, Miyoko had mentioned something about friends earlier at her uh, sanctuary. So that's a good way to end it today. So this is Jody Whitaker of the Chicago Alliance for Animals. Please visit ChicagoAllianceForAnimals.org or look us up on Facebook to reach out to help our very active campaigns to free Spur, free Rocky, and ban horse carriages worldwide. Thank you very much, and I hope you'll catch us next Saturday.